I want to just uh, let you know that uh, we are going to try to honor the fact that you've been here this morning, that you have risked life, limb, and even your uh, vehicle to be here this morning. And so we want to possibly streamline the service a little bit and uh, be a good steward of your time and of your life. Uh, And so as you turn there, let me just provide a quick update for you. There's a lot of things that we could share with you. One thing I'll share with you is uh, go to the loop. So in the seat back in front of you, you should see a a scanner. You can scan that at any point during the service this morning, and that will take you to our digital loop. The loop is how you stay in the know, and that's all I'm going to say about that. Giving boxes are still available if you want to give this morning. If you're watching online and you want to give your regular gift, you're you're able to do that using the loop or go to our website, hagerstownchurch.org forward slash give and uh, you'll find a connection spot there for you to, 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 to give as you'd like. I um, also want to say this. If you are a covenant member, this coming Sunday night, February 7th, we're going to have a, a covenant members meeting. And so if you're a covenant member, I want to invite you to be there and uh, put that on your calendar if it's not there already. I do want to make you aware of one thing. We have adjusted the time. The time has, has uh, been moved back to uh, 5 p.m. And so make sure you mark that change. We'll be meeting right here in this room. And uh, there's more information that'll be available coming to you in, in email. Um, but all those things aside, let's jump back into our regular reading of God's Word and our regular exposition of it. We believe that we'll be helped by that. And so in Mark chapter 8, uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this morning. This is what the Word of God says. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him, and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he brought them and gave them to his disciples and set, to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And and having blessed them, he said that these all should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and he went to the district of Dalmanutha. Let's ask God to bless the reading of his word. Father, we lean into your word this morning. We believe that it matters. It matters here at Hagerstown Church. And so we elevate it this morning. We gather around it. We sing about it. We pray uh, informed by it. And we preach it and it alone. And Father, we give that space to your word because we believe that it is sufficient. It is authoritative and it is what we need for life. It is what we need for godliness. And God, we need life and we need godliness. And therefore, we need your word. And we rest in it this morning. We pray that you would wash us with it and that your church would be helped. And we ask these things be done in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you are wondering how mushy your mind actually is, you might say, hey, I remember, I think I remember reading this passage, maybe even Pastor Josh preaching this passage sometime in 2020. But if you're like me, you're thinking 2020 is a blur. And so I probably actually didn't uh, have uh, hear, hear Pastor Josh preach that. Well, actually you did. You, you're not uh, completely off base. We did preach through a text very similar to this, although we did not preach Mark chapter eight. In Mark chapter six, Mark re- uh, records a very similar miracle as we've just read this morning. And I want to point to this in, uh, in verse four. It says, or in, I'm sorry, in verse 
one that says, when again the great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. And so this word again is, it's modifying that this crowd has gathered, a large crowd has gathered. Again, not the same people, but another crowd. Mark's hinting at the fact that again, they have nothing to eat. So this is indeed a different account. Uh, Mark 6, like I said, gives a similar story, and yet it is quite different. There's a, probably about 15 or so differences between Mark 6 his account in Mark 8's account, but let me just say this high level. In Mark chapter 6, there's five loaves of bread, and in Mark chapter 8, there's seven. In Mark chapter 6, there's two fish, and in Mark chapter 8, there's a few fish. So two, three, we don't, we're not exactly sure. In Mark chapter 6, there's 5,000 that are being fed at least, and in Mark chapter 8, there's at least 4,000. Additionally, in Mark chapter 6, it's in Galilee. It's in the region of Galilee. They're on the uh, west side of the Sea of Galilee. And yet here in Mark 8, Jesus is preaching, Jesus is speaking and doing his ministry in the Decapolis, which is there on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And so why, in addition, why would Mark make such a simple mistake as, as some skeptics believe to accidentally include another version of the same story as if he was stumbling over his words and couldn't remember what he said? Well, it's not that at all. In fact, his comments are extremely intentional, if intention can be extreme. Jesus feeding more, he's feeding more than one multitude. It's, it's not unlikely that he, if he can do it once, of course he can do it twice. And, and what's more, as I've already pointed out, the differences are significant. I think what's happening here, Mark, is, his motive is in arranging the materials in the way that he has done is to show the, the dullness of the disciples' minds and the, the dullness of their memory and teaching that, that Jesus' uh, miracles and Jesus' teaching had to be repeated again for his disciples to understand. If you remember, what was Jesus' initial and primary concern in his, in his ministry here on earth? It was to come apart with his disciples and to teach them. To sit and play this gospel message and yet most of his time was spent with who it was spent with his disciples teaching and preparing them and they needed to hear this lesson twice as we go through this text i want to kind of just point out three things and then we'll end the, the our time this morning with i think some some helpful application or thoughts about how we could apply this as a church and the first thing i want you to see just as by observation is the compassion of jesus the compassion of Jesus. Look at verse number one. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, they had had nothing to eat. He, calls the, he called his disciples to him and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from afar. This particular word for compassion it's not the first time that Mark has used it. Maybe you remember in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, Jesus has compassion on a leper, and he says as much, and he heals him. Again, in Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus sees another hungry crowd, and what does he do? He tells his disciples, I have compassion on this crowd, and he feeds them. And now here in verse 2 of chapter 8, we have this hungry Gentile crowd, mostly Gentile, we would assume. Again, we'll get to this in a few weeks, but in Matthew cha or Mark chapter 9, verse 22, uh, there's a father that he's asking Jesus, will you please have compassion on my son? Will you have compassion on him and heal him? 
So this is not the first time that it's being used, but what does it mean? Well, it, it means to express intense pity, or, or it could also mean great affection or just compassion for somebody. It's translated compassion. That's what it means. It's not an accident, right? But intense pity, great affection, compassion. Jesus sees needs and it moves his heart. His emotions are affected by his sight. They were hitting a dangerous point and he has compassion for them. Well, this word hungry, it's more than just like, hey, I need a chicken nugget. Uh, the, the text here is like, hey, well, they haven't eaten in three days. Of course, they're not foolish. These people aren't like bumbling fools that don't know how to take care of themselves. Obviously, we got here because they, you know, they made it somehow. They weren't a bunch of lemmings, right? They were able to take care of themselves. But at, for some reason, their stores, what they had taken with them had been depleted. It had been some time. And now it's like they've hit that point of no return. Maybe you've been there before. You leave the house. And maybe you have that fancy kind of new car that tells you how many miles you have till the gas. You're like, I'm just going to push it a little bit farther because I want to make it to this one more thing, you know, before I turn around and come home and have to get any gas the next day. And so I think I can make it. Some of you could uh, testify this morning that that is a dangerous game to play, right? You've been there before. Jesus is recognizing that that's the game that these people had been playing. They had pressed it a little too far. They'd gone too long, they a little bit too long, their tank was a little too empty. Before they even realized it, Jesus is seen. They don't have any food, and I don't think they have enough gas to get back to where they're going. They don't have enough food to make it. And so they're not just missed, missed a meal, but these folks are depleted. They're so tired and weary that it's likely that they'll get, their bodies will give out as they're returning, fainting possibly from exhaustion. Things could get real bad real quick. By this point, it's not surprising that Jesus had compassion on this crowd, right? We're not shocked by that. That's just Jesus. He has compassion on those who are in need. And however, there is one huge difference that this, uh, th Jesus' compassion for this crowd versus the other one. You see, the last time we weren't surprised that Jesus had compassion on this mainly Jewish crowd that had gathered around him, that had been with him for some time, that had chased him, remember, on land as he went on boat. And they got there, and he had compassion on them. Again, remember, mostly Jewish folks there in the crowd. But this time it's different. This time Jesus is in Gentile territory. It's most likely around the Decapolis. This is where we talked about last week. Remember, De Decapolis means it's a, it's a compound word, right? It's a compound term. Deca, which means 10, and polis, which, which means cities. And so it's the 10 cities, kind of like maybe the tri-city area, the tri-state region. This is the, the 10-city region, likely where Jesus is at. Dr. Dr. Polk told us that last year. It's mostly Jewish minority and Gentile majority, Right? They're on the east side of the, of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee. So for Mark, I believe the feeding of the 5,000, it, it, it almost symbolizes Jesus' provision for the Jews, how Jesus' message is for the Jews. But the feeding of the 4,000, I would argue, it also demonstrates that Jesus has provision for the Gentiles. He doesn't just have provision for the Jews, he also, or compassion for the Jews, he also has compassion for the Gentiles as well. As we saw with the Syrophoenician woman, as we saw with the, the healing of the mute and deaf last week, 
Jesus' message was not just for the Jew. It was for the Gentile also. And that, my friends, it includes us. And so if you say, well, we've, we've heard this before. Well, you have. But is that not exciting? Is that not something worth being reminded about? That, that Jesus doesn't just have compassion for one group of ethnic folks, one ethnicity, one people group, one nation, but that he has it for all. And that's, what, that's, what this, that's the point. You're either Jew or you're Gentile. It's one or the other. And so Jesus has compassion for both, for the Jew and for the Gentile. He has compassion for the poor. He has compassion for the rich. He has compassion for the black. He has compassion for the white. He has compassion for the old. He has compassion for the young, on the uneducated and on, and on the educated, on the informed and on the ignorant. It may seem familiar and perhaps even obvious, but we can't overlook that important piece that Jesus is as compassionate as he is. The disciples aren't concerned about them. Just like last time, they want their own. They want to be taken care of themselves. Jesus has enough to worry about with these disciples, as you can agree, right? We'll see that even the more as we go through this study of, of Mark. But Jesus has compassion for all. We look at instances of Jesus verbally declaring his compassion in, in Mark in, in chapter 1, in chapter 6, now in chapter 8. We'll, we'll see again Jesus demonstrating and verbalizing his compassion in chapter 9. But where has Jesus demonstrated his compassion for us? Where has he done it more than at the cross of Christ? On Calvary. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, the Word of God says that God would demonstrate His love, that He would demonstrate even His compassion for us, and that while we were sinning and in need of a Savior, Jesus would die on the cross. His love and His pity at this point in the text had led Him to the manger, adding to His eternal person a human nature. Which, by the way, you might think, well, that sounds like an adventure, right? This is, like, is that so tough for Jesus? Like, that sounds like a good thing, that he would be able to experience life as a human. That, that's not exactly what this would be like. It would be more like having food and, then, and being, enjoying that and then experiencing not having food, right? Suffering through that. There's nothing great about it. It'd be like not having pain and then feeling pain. Right, there is an experience, and in some way there's value in that. But it's not like, yeah, Jesus got to check it out what it's like to be God, and then he got to check out what it's like to be human. No, he suffered. It was a sacrifice for him to take on the second member of the eternal Godhead, to take on a human nature, and he did that. Out of what? Compassion. In accordance with the Father's commands, his compassion would lead him to the cross where he would pay off the debts, the sin debts of those who would trust in his sacrifice. And so don't overlook the compassion of Jesus. It may seem thin. It may seem cheap because it's everywhere that we look. And yet it is not. It is of utmost importance, the compassion of Jesus. And so it's ever present. And so don't miss it. That's in this text. It's on full display. Another thing that stands in contrast and is, I think, more obvious in some ways is the smallness of the disciples. 
the smallness of the disciples. I want to point out a few things in this text that would demonstrate the smallness of the disciples. Let's look at verse 4. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took those seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them. And he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. They asked this question, how can a crowd like this be fed in such a desolate place as this? That, that, that verb means to be satisfied, to be, to, to, to be fed, to be satisfied. It's not give them a snack. It's not like, hey, let's buy a, a happy meal and give everybody just a few, just a, a few parts of it just to hold us off until we get home and, and we have mom's uh, meal that she's prepared for us. no. That verb is not speaking of a snack. That verb is a meal. It's saying, how can we feed these people? How can we care for them? How can they be satisfied? How can they get what they need for the journey home? The word uh, translated as desolate, we've seen that several times in our study of Mark. It, It means a large uninhabited region that normally has sparse vegetation. It's not the kind of place that you want to live. But the point is this. There's no towns and there's no city. There's no lady cooking bread out on the corner that you can just be like, hey, you know what? No worries. We ran out of our uh, snacks. Our cooler's empty. We'll just run down here to the corner store, and we'll get something to eat. There's no McDonald's around. That's the point of this desolation, of this desolate place. There's no other option. It's hard for us to imagine in the day and age that we live in, but maybe you can just a little bit because of the quarantine that we experienced. Suddenly, it was difficult for us to get the things that we needed on a regular basis. Like, who cares about milk? We can't even get toilet paper, right? (laughs) We know a little bit about what this is like, but this was far worse. There wasn't a little bit of of stuff on the shelf. There was nothing, and there were no shelves. Honestly, as I think of this term desolate and how it describes the place that this crowd is in, I can't help but spiritualize it. I see a parallel between this area and the crowd that's gathered in it and Hagerstown. Physically, there was little chance of, the, of that crowd being fed and satisfied in that area that they were in at that moment. And spiritually speaking, here in Hagerstown, the need is so great. Is not Hagerstown a desolate place? Everywhere you look, there is pain. Everywhere you look, there is sin. From our leaders to the least of us, we are all broken people. And we are all in need of a spiritual meal. We are all in need of a spiritual refreshing. Every one of us. And if it's not for Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, preparing a meal for Hagerstown, we will faint along the way. Is that not true? This is a desolate place. And you may ask like the disciples, who can feed these? That's my my desire. That's my feeling. Even this week, driving down the road, I remember driving down the road with Brett this week, and and just everywhere we looked, it was like brokenness, intense need. Oh, God, let us... Let us put that out of our minds. I can't bear to look at it anymore because I can't fix that problem. I can't solve it. And as we turn our eyes over here, it's something different. 
and just as desolate, just as broken, spending times on the phone, caring for our, even our church members, looking on Facebook, looking around, just walking the street, doesn't matter. Everywhere you look, you see spiritual need. People longing for a spiritual meal and fainting along the way. So who can feed these? According to the disciples, nobody. That's a rhetorical question. Who can feed these? They're saying nobody can. What does that do for me? Well, it shows me the smallness of the disciples, particularly in their memory. Particularly in their memory. How can the crowd be fed in such a desolate place? Are you serious? Why would they ask that question? Mark is really ratting them out here. He's like, he's, he's not cutting them any slack. They had literally just seen the Lord provide a meal for a crowd that was larger and with less resources. How soon they forget it. It hadn't been long since Jesus had fed that crowd. Similar circumstances. He feeds 5,000 plus. How could they have forgotten Maybe you're ready to pile on and you're ready to really just single these guys out and show them how foolish they are. But just, just time out. Ease up just for a second. Have you ever forgotten what Jesus has done for you in your life? Have you ever done that? Jesus has answered countless prayers of mine and yet I still often forget to pray when I'm in need. I forget. <laughs> How will I ever get out of this need? How will I ever be, 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 how will this need ever be met? Maybe by the same God who has shown me compassion and care every other time I've prayed and, and been in need. Maybe that person will. Maybe Jesus will. Jesus has demonstrated his love for me and is present with me, and yet I still am prone to feel alone. Maybe you can relate. Of all the times he's revealed himself, as of all the times he's been present with me in my afflictions, and yet I still am prone to feel alone. Maybe you can relate. Maybe the disciples aren't so foolish after all, or maybe we are just as foolish as they. Jesus has forgiven me. He saved me 19 years ago. He saved me from my sins of 19 years but I still find myself despondent. I still struggle because I've forgotten that Jesus really forgives sins and that Jesus even delivers from sins. And besides all that, maybe you say, well, yes, but Jesus can save me, but not these people. And now we're getting down to the heart of it. Jesus could feed Jews, but can he feed Gentiles? That's a whole other matter, isn't it? The fact that Jesus could save me is a testimony that Jesus can save anybody. And if that's not your disposition this morning, if that's not your thought, as you walk the streets of Hagerstown, as you interact with the lost folks in your family, remember this, that if Jesus can save you, if he can rescue you from your sin, if he can take that heart of stone that hates God and loves sin and he can take it out and he can replace it with a heart of flesh that is tender towards God and submissive to his commands, then surely he can do that for anyone. So these guys are not alone. We all forget. And the memory of the disciples was weak. It was small and so is ours. And would we not remind ourselves regularly? That's one of the reasons why we gather on Sundays 
to rehearse what God has done and to sing of his faithfulness, even as we did last week. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies we see. So these guys aren't alone. We all forget. They had hard heads. They forgot, and so do we. And so let's remind ourselves of the goodness of God, of the compassion of Christ. But I also see the the smallness of the disciples in the area of faith. In the area of faith, the circumstances and context of the first feeding and the second, as we've seen, they're they're very similar. Jesus, our Lord, he did the same miracle. He taught a similar content. And he dealt with similar issues twice. It's literally almost, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a huge parallel between the two of them. And yet, after the first one, they're still deaf to Jesus' teaching themselves. And their eyes, of the, the eyes of the disciples, they're still blind to his glory. Why? Because their faith was so small. They needed this message two times. They needed it in Jewish territory. They needed it in Gentile territory. interesting is after the end of both of these two stories and the parallel between the two of them at the end of it what we see is the testimony of the disciples Jesus says who do men say that I am on the way to Caesarea Philippi we'll cover that in a few weeks and what does he say what is the response you're the Christ you're the son of the living God So their faith was weak, but what happened? Jesus was patient with them. He could do it, and he would be patient with them. And so the question I would ask for you this morning, do you have small faith? Do you believe that our Lord can meet the needs of the lost in Hagerstown? Now, I know you know that that's true, but do you believe that that's true? You might say, yeah, I I know it can happen. But do you believe it? Do you really rest in that? That our Lord can meet also the needs of the lost in Hagerstown. You say, but there's so many. Do you believe that Jesus can open the eyes of of the lost neighbors, co-workers, and family members? Do you see how similar these, these stories are between our plight and theirs? If you're a Christian, listen this morning. How is it that no, you, you no longer serve yourself? How is it that you know, now submit to God, the God that you once neglected and maybe even despised? How is that possible? That you could have, a, again, a new heart. When you turned from your sin and you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, it was indeed a miracle. And if he, again, if he can save you, he can save them. If he can open your eyes, he can open theirs. While it is a desperate time, and this is a desolate place, we have a compassionate Lord, and he's not limited. We need look nowhere farther than our own personal testimonies to see that he is able. So be reminded of that and let your faith increase. The disciples were small in their memory. They were small in their faith, but let's get down to the nitty-gritty here, right? They're also small in their resources. What does it say? And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? Basically, he's saying, it's impossible to feed this crowd. Jesus, I know you're loving. I know you're compassionate. 
But at the end of the day, there's really nothing that can be done. Have you ever felt that as you've spent any amount of time in Hagerstown? Oh, I know you mean well. Maybe you're new around here. You'll see the hurt. You'll see the desperation. You'll see the hopelessness. And it'll bother you. And for a short time, you'll wonder what you can do. And maybe you'll even try. But eventually, you'll come to the conclusion that there's nothing that can be done. The crowd is too great. The need is too large. The answer to the question, how can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It's almost like Jesus is like, you're right. You can do nothing. You can't meet this need. You're limited, but I'm not. It's almost like he looks at the disciples and he's like, watch this. Imagine the look on his face, Jesus' face. You think he's like holding it back, like holding back a smile, trying to act all stern, thinking like, hey, this is going to be great. It feels good, right? Jesus, I'm sure he smiled when he met needs and was kind of, I'm sure he enjoyed that, right? He's, maybe he's holding back like, I can't wait. And he's also going to just enjoy showing these disciples what's about to happen. How he's right. How he's not limited. How he's able. And when he says to his disciples, watch this. How many loaves do you have? And they're like, seven. Yeah, seven. Seven loaves. Where'd that, where'd those loaves come from? There's no small boy in this story, right? We don't hear about it. We could just speculate where, where did they get this meal at? Where did they get these loaves of bread from? Well, more than likely, this is what was in the disciples' knapsacks. This is what's in the disciples' coolers, right? They're on this trip. They're on this journey. They're out teaching as they go into the towns. They, they have to stock back up. Where do you think they, they, they're eating something? This is likely what they have left over. Seven loaves. That's the disciples' food. And what else do they have? Well, they have some fish. Now, this is pretty interesting. This is just a lot of fun. Maybe you know the Greek word for fish. It's ichthus. But that's not the word that's used here. This is kind of cool. Uh, it's a diminutive, uh, which is to say then it's, it, it's like uh, a sweet thing. It's like saying like, oh, a little sweetheart, right? It's like this is not a fish. This is a little fish, which is ichthudion. That's kind of interesting, right? You know, so they have a few small fish, not just a few fish like, oh, yeah, well, it could have been, you know, big fish, little, you know, who knows? No, these are basically anchovies, right? They're tiny little fish. And not only that, but what, what, did they just catch these fish? No. And so how are they keeping these fish? Well, they've been dehydrated, right? These, and what happens when you dehydrate something? Well, little fish become what? Shrinky dink, man. They become even smaller, like little fish become micro fish. They just have a few fish. So seven loaves and basically a few dried out anchovies is what Jesus has to work with. That's all they had. That's what, that's what they had to eat. And what happens? Well, Jesus takes their meal and he gives it to the crowd. Okay, so we like, I like to look at people's faces as I read the stories, right? Okay, so what's on the disciples' faces as Jesus takes their, their dinner, their lunch, what they need, and he gives it to the crowd who didn't pack their own meal, who ran out because of poor planning? What would be on their face? Maybe the same thing that would be on your face if I were to do that to you. You gotta be kidding me. Well, what are we gonna do, Jesus? What does he do? Jesus takes the bread and he thanks the Father for it. And he gives it to the disciples to pass out. Maybe they're grumbling as they go. You gotta be kidding me. 
He takes the fish and he, he asks God to bestow his divine favor on it. He blesses it. And again, he gives that to the disciples to give to the crowd. And there's Peter handing out. He loves anchovies. He loved, he'd just love to have that, that last little bit when the day's over and they can just sit around the fire and, and talk with Jesus. It's not going to be any meal tonight. At least that's what's on Peter's mind. They barely had enough food for themselves. Jesus takes it and he hands it out to the crowd. And that's how Jesus works. He takes what you think is too little for you. I don't even have enough for me. This is too little for me. And somehow Jesus can take that and he uses it to meet the needs of those around you and you. That's what happens. He feeds the folks. He meets the needs around the disciples. And also, as we'll see in a minute, he meets the needs of the disciples. Little is little unless it's in the hands of Jesus. Then little is much. You see, it might seem little in your hands. But when you give what's in your hands to Jesus, little becomes much. And so your, your memory, it might be lacking. You, you might have a hard time believe, remembering the, the good things that Christ has done for you in the past. Your faith may be weak. Can he do it again? I don't know. Your resources may be scarce. But in all of these circumstances, what? Jesus is able. Jesus is able. Our inability to meet the needs of those around us can cause us, if we get honest here, it, it, it can cause us to begin to ignore or even erase them from our minds like we don't see those who are in need. And I'm not just talking about folks who are homeless. I'm not just talking about people who are strung out on drugs. I'm talking about the person in your family that is just difficult to deal with and you, you, you struggle relationally with them. I'm talking about the person on your street that doesn't have what they need. And it just always seems to be that way. They can never have enough. They always need more help. Instead of meeting those needs, we find difficulty in it and we pretend like they don't even exist, don't we? And we prefer not to see them. And we play this game. We don't want to look them in the eye. And really, we, we, I think we, we, we do it for a couple of reasons. Maybe we don't want to help. Maybe we just don't want to help. And we say, they don't deserve it. This person doesn't deserve it. And so in our lives, when Jesus is saying, hey, I have compassion on this group of people, I have compassion on this one person, and he looks to us and almost asking us with his eyes, what will you give? What will you commit to this? And we look and we say, I don't want to help. We say, they don't deserve it. Maybe that's you this morning. I know that's been me many times in my life. Well, they've not worked as hard as I have. They've squandered opportunities that we both had. I didn't. They, they've, 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 they've made foolish decisions. They've been helped before. Maybe we don't look at the crowd. Maybe we're like the disciples, not having compassion because we don't think they deserve it, those around us. That's one reason. And if I'm being honest, that's me often. There's another reason though, and this is just from my heart. Maybe we say we don't know how to help. Maybe we ignore those in need around us. We don't have compassion on them because we say, I've tried. I've tried to help them. I, what else do I do? 
Maybe you sat, saw somebody sitting on the, on the street and you said, hey, I'm gonna help this person. So they've sat there long enough. It's time. And so you go and you, maybe you give them a pair of gloves off of your own hand. Maybe you take a blanket out of the back of your van and you, you place it around their shoulders. Maybe you go get them a meal and you sit down and try to talk to them. And you think, now, they, this is gonna help them. This is the one thing that they needed to get them over this bump and to get them rescued from this thing, whatever it is, their sin and sickness that they're addicted to. Now you've, now you've got it. And you think, you think they've been helped, you think they've been rescued, and you think that you've been a part of it, and the next day, the next week, the next, next month, and for that month, you see them in the same place as if you never helped them at all. Only now they don't have the gloves that you once gave them, and they don't have the blanket either, and you say to yourself, why? I just don't want to deal with this anymore. I don't want to look at, I just, I'm not even going to help, I'm not even going to try anymore. I've already tried. And I'm not so foolish enough to beat my head against that brick wall anymore. You say, I, I would help, but I don't know how to help. And because of that, to relieve the tension, I'll look the other way and I'll pretend that people in need don't exist around me. Maybe that's you. Again, if I'm honest, I don't know how to help often. But then there's a third one. Maybe you feel like you can't help. Maybe you feel like you need the gloves that are on your hands and you need that blanket that's in the back of your car and maybe you think that you don't even have enough resources to buy your own family a meal that night, let alone buy somebody else one. And so you say, resources are limited and therefore I can't help. I only have enough for me and therefore Jesus can't use me to help those who are in need around me. And so again, you erase them you pretend like you don't see them. You look the other way. All of these concerns, all of these thoughts were likely present in the disciples' hearts. They deserved They're Gentiles. Tried. We feed them today. They'll be hungry tomorrow. Jesus, we don't have enough to feed them. But what happens here in this text? Jesus overcomes all of those things. And so should we, not by our own power, but with our faith in Christ, knowing that when we submit ourselves to him and when our resources, limited though they may be, are given to Jesus, he meets the needs of those around. So there is a compassion in Christ and there is a smallness in the disciples that we see in this text. And really the last general observation is the satisfaction of the crowd. That's point number three. The satisfaction of the crowd. Look at verse eight. It says, and they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And they were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and he went to the district of Dalmanutha. Jesus blessed the food. He passes it out. And what does it say? Everyone there satisfied. Again, it's not like, no, I took a bite of a chicken nugget earlier. I'm gonna be okay. No, give it to the kids. No, everyone eats and everyone has enough. They've got to that point where they're like, you know what? If I eat anymore, I'm gonna be sick. I'm not gonna be worth anything. Uh, this is enough. You know, I, I'm satisfied. I'm right to that place. I'm, I'm full. 
So they're not only satisfied, but in addition to that, there's leftovers. What's really interesting, this is kind of fun, that it's, it's difficult to see what the, the differences between chapter 6 and chapter 8 in these two accounts of this miraculous feeding. But if you're able to go back and with a commentary or, or some type of a, a, some, or some language tools, you can see some really neat differences between the text. Here's one of them. In chapter 6, the baskets that were used to pick up the food um, were uh, basically small wicker baskets. And, and, and the idea is that they're essentially, they're like, uh, it's a wicker basket that's big enough for your lunch. So it's not very big. So just think like, you know, Iron Man lunchbox, Spider-Man lunchbox, that type of thing, maybe big enough to put a thermos in there. That's about how big the, the baskets were in chapter six, okay? Uh, and the, uh, the word in the Greek is kofinon. And it means small wicker basket, Okay. And so they're basically lunchboxes. But the word in chapter 8 is styrus, which it, it, it also means basket. But instead of lunchbox, think cooler. Think like we're going to the lake today. We've got a bunch of subs. We've got a bunch of uh, drinks and things like that all in this giant cooler. That's more what this is uh, talking about. And so there's 12 baskets, 12 lunchboxes that are left over in chapter 6. And there's 12, uh, sorry, 7 cooler size baskets, right, left over in chapter 8. And just a little fun fact, the the basket that Paul, the Apostle Paul, has let down out of the, the city of Damascus in, which one do you think it is? It's of the, it's not the lunchbox variety, He's in a wicker basket, yes, but he's not in the little one. He's in, the, he's in a big one, more similar to the ones in chapter 8. Now, I'm not saying that the, 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 the coolers or the baskets in chapter 8 were big enough for men to get in, but I'm saying they're bigger than in chapter 6. Just a fun fact to know. And so we might say, well, there was more left over in chapter 6. Well, actually, there's more left over in chapter 8. And everyone ate. Everyone was satisfied. Here's the point. The crowd was satisfied. They ate their fill, but they ended up with seven large coolers full of food. That's interesting. They ended up with more than they started with. The disciples, they now have far more than they started with, even though they barely had enough for themselves. You think about it. 12 disciples, maybe a few stragglers, Jesus himself, seven loaves of bread, a couple anchovies. How long is that going to last them? Is that even a meal? Now what do they have? Not just seven loaves, seven coolers full. That's pretty amazing. That's fantastic. Not only is the crowd satisfied, but maybe the disciples are like, you know what? Now, let's look at their faces again, okay? Now they're collecting these baskets and they're taking them forward, taking them, right? You know, two of them walking, holding either side as they go and they, the people put their leftovers in the basket. What's on their faces now? embarrassment maybe, shame, but also, what are they thinking? We're going to eat good tonight. I thought it was going to be sparse. I thought we were going to have to skim tonight, but this stuff will go bad before we can even eat it all. So it's going to be a lot of food for us tonight. It's interesting. If any of them were disgruntled and she just began to pass out their lunch, now they're excited. Now they too are satisfied. There is no shortage with Jesus. There is no shortage with Jesus. Just thought about it as we look at this text. I'm going to ask you a few questions as we consider these, 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 the things that we've talked about this morning. We'll just ask a few questions about our church. What if we had the same compassion for Hagerstown that Jesus had for this Gentile crowd? 
What would it look like? What would a Hagerstown church look like? What would Hagerstown look like if we had the same compassion for Hagerstown that Jesus had for them, for that crowd? Think about that for a moment. Maybe write that down. Ask yourself later today. Talk to your family about that. Maybe over dinner. Here's another one, though. What, what if we stopped thinking in such small ways about reaching the lost here in our city and began to think, well, little is much when God is in it. What if we stopped looking at our limited resources and said we have an unlimited God? Would Hagerstown Church look any different? Would Hagerstown look any different? Well, I think I know what would happen. I think I I know what would happen in our church and in our city Jesus would satisfy the needs that are ever-present in each and every one of us. I've I've saved our main point for the day to the end. I'm going to share it with you now. Our main point for the day is less of a point and more of a prayer. And I hope that you'll pray it with me this week. May compassion lead us to give all that we have to Jesus so that he would use it to meet the needs of our neighbors and the nations. This is is our prayer for you, Hagerstown Church. That the compassion of Christ, that he demonstrated, that he exuded throughout his life on earth, and even now, that it would lead us to give all that we have to him, all of our time, all of our talents, all of our resources, that we would give it back to Jesus. There's a group of us that get together throughout the week and we discuss a book that we've been reading. One guy in the, in the group brought this up. He said, often when I think of giving, I think, how much should I give to God? And he said, after reading this and thinking of this idea of stewardship, he said, now the qu- I see the question should be this. How much should I keep for myself? You see, Jesus was saying, hey, disciples, all that you need, I have. And all that you have, you should give to me and allow me to work with that to meet the needs of those around you. What, would, what if Hagerstown Church would do just that? Each and every one of us would do just that. That we would give all that we have to the Lord Jesus and watch him use that to meet the needs of our neighbors and the nations. Church, it's my prayer that God would use the little lunch that we have to feed the multitudes of Hagerstown and Washington County. Church, I believe he is able. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning just in awe, comforted by, encouraged by, and even challenged by the compassion of Jesus. He demonstrated a love and a care for those who are in need that I believe you desire for us to emulate here in our city here in our families, here in our, on our streets and in our places of business. God, would we begin to look even more this year like Jesus as we serve. 
And Father, forgive us for being so forgetful in our memory as we neglect the stories, to be reminded of the stories of the times that you've met our needs in the past. Father, would you give us the faith to believe that you'll do it again and that there is no limit to your power. And Jesus, would you help us to be satisfied in you that we would serve our community, that we would serve those around us, the crowd in this desolate place with an overabundance as we gather up from your mercy and grace. Would you lead us, Jesus, to give what we have to you, though it may be little, so that we can see you meet the needs. We ask that these things be done in the name of Jesus and for his glory alone, amen.